Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Well, great. Here we go. You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results yeah. is extreme now, yeah. why was So let's that? let's be really clear. That that comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have How been I have ridiculous? been well, you're asking me you're asking me a question. Yes. Let me answer it. And you said it was Wait, ridiculous. I was I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. And here's the thing. I have said Governor Kemp won the election in Georgia. I've been clear about that. Uh, I have said President Trump won the election of 2016, and I've been clear about that. What we are talking about right now is Let's not forget what happened on January 6, 2021, when we saw an insurrection, a mob that was incited by the person who uh, occupied this campus, this facility in, at that time. And it was an attack on our democracy. Let's not forget, people died that day. Law enforcement were attacked that day. That was the danger that we were seeing at the time. That's what the president has called out, and that's what he's going to continue to call out. So yes, when you have MAGA Republicans, a extreme part of Republicans who for, who just deny or do not want to uh, uh, really say what exactly happened on that day, or say it was a protest when it clearly was not a peaceful protest, that's not what we saw on that day. Yes, the president's going to call that out. And here's the thing, majority of Americans agree with him. Majority of Americans agree with this president on protecting our democracy, protecting our freedom, and protecting our rights. That's what we're talking about today, and that's what the president's going to focus on. All right, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to move. I'm going to call on folks I haven't called on. Go ahead. Out there. Just one quick follow-up. But, you know, while it's, you know, you can talk about what people meant or didn't mean or by voting in the 2020 election, but there are lots of Republican, just regular Republican voters who do support, for example, uh, Rick Scott's, you know, ideas about what to do with the budget or what to do with Social Security or entitlement programs. There's lots of Republican voters who do agree with the president that they think the election was, uh, with the former president, mm -hmm. I mean, but, but yeah. that, that no, the I election. So, so, so does he consider, does the president consider all of those people who support these extreme agendas that he's talking about to be the MAGA Republicans. So he was has been very clear that he's talking about office holders. He's talking about elected officials who have these MAGA, ultra MAGA uh, Republican agendas, and he's been very clear about that. 
Um, look, here's the thing. The point that we are making is majority of Americans support Medicare. Majority of Americans support Social Security. Majority of Americans support our democracy and want to protect our democracy, want to protect our freedom, want to protect our rights. And that's who the president's going to continue to stand up for and fight for. Women who protect us every day and fight for it every day uh, believe in as well. The presence of the Marines at the speech was intended to demonstrate the deep and abiding respect uh, the president has for these service, service members, uh, to these ideals uh, and the unique role our independent military plays in defending our democracy, no matter which party is in power. Again, no matter which power party is in power. For nearly 30 years, crime was falling in the United States. No more. The national murder rate is at its highest in 25 years. The result of far-left policies that leave innocent Americans at the mercy of violent criminals. You've seen the images. Subway riders pushed onto tracks by the violently deranged. Stores being looted in broad daylight. Elderly women viciously beaten on the street and outside their homes. Gang shootings turning cities into war zones. Hardened criminals rampaging without fear. No fear of arrest. No fear of prosecution. No fear of jail. No fear of any consequence at all. Instead, you are made to live in fear. Woke progressive prosecutors are releasing dangerous predators before trial. Woke far-left politicians have allowed our streets and parks to be overrun with crime and drugs. Police have been made into the enemy and criminals into a protected class. Violent crime is up 21% in Washington, D.C., 35% in Chicago, 41% in New York City, and murders are up 207% in Portland. Cities in chaos, billions in property damages, lives and families destroyed. Stop the woke war on police. Stop the far-left assault on public safety. Stop the radical left-wing love affair with criminals. Stop the insanity. Citizens for Sanity paid for this ad. than anything else? You realize that? The point is, we ask so much of you, so much of you. I've not... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 8th of September, year of our Lord, 2022, episode 622 is what we're going with today. And 
We're still dealing with the fallout of that great speech by Mr. Unity, which I think's fucking fantastic. It's just freaking fantastic. So then you hear KGP. You also saw a good ad that's going out. And you see a difference between a Biden and a Trump rally still. But he got 81 million votes. So today's going to be a short show. Starts a couple days later. Got sidetracked with life, not actually sickness. Doing a little bit better. But I want us to make sure, as we always do, that we're dealing with what we like to call facts. And it'd probably be better if I'd fix this slide. But this is the current press secretary. We're talking about misinformation. We're talking about we need to keep people from being able to fucking say things because we only want things we want to hear. And that challenging elections is the greatest thing, the greatest sin you can do as an American. Yet that's all they fucking do. It's all they do. It's constant. It's ever-present. And as we see, these fucking people are fucking hypocrites. But somehow, despite all of this, the outrage du jour was directed at President Biden's speech on defending democracy in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Now, there was some gnashing of teeth around the bizarre lighting and the presence of Marines in the background. But the main GOP objection was that Biden was demonizing, quote, half of America. Now, here's what the president actually said. Now, what we need most and have least of right now is perspective on our politics. And that's why I was glad to see a typically thoughtful analysis from The Washington Post's Philip Bump, who set about trying to find exactly how many Americans fit the criteria for extremist MAGA Republicans. Now, here are the criteria. They reject the 2020 election results, embrace candidates who also reject the results, approve of the Capitol riot, and finally, they're willing to consider violence as a political tool. Now, we've all seen polling about how 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe Trump's election lies. But here's the big thing to remember. Just 28 percent of Americans identify as Republicans, according to a recent Gallup survey. So even if 66 percent of Republicans believe that Biden's not a legitimate president, as a July CNN poll found, that's just over 18 percent of all American adults. And what about the 41 percent of Americans who say they're independent voters? Well, even if you add in the one-third of independents who lean Republican, you're still talking about a decidedly minority opinion. But whichever way you look at it, support for these positions is small, because even fewer folks say they'd support election deniers or approve of the Capitol riot or think that political violence can somehow be justified. Which leads you to the data-driven conclusion that this is not remotely half the country we're talking about. It's more like 10% of the country that holds these kind of extremist positions. That's still a lot. But they are decidedly outliers, far from the American mainstream. And as for that inverse perception of the Democratic Party being dominated by socialists, well, for what it's worth, the Democratic Socialists of America, the group which boasts Bernie Sanders and AOC, claims only 92,000 members. Which so let's just drill down on this question. Simple yes or no. Do you believe that Joe Biden won the 2020 election fair and square? Yes, he is our president. Yes. And, and, and to be clear, you know, I think in 2016, Hillary Clinton had concerns. Um, Stacey Abrams had concerns. This is an issue on both sides of the aisle. This isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. We need to protect the integrity of our elections. They need to be, you know, easy to cheat right. or, or well, hard to cheat and easy to vote. That, that is very clear. And, let me ask, and, and that's I'm going to ask you about that in a aisle. second. This but you not said, a divisive. Yeah. You said that President Biden is our president. Was he 
fairly elected, legitimately elected? Yes, Joe Biden is our president. And look, my campaign has been so successful because from day one, I am focused on the endorsement of the voters of Washington state and delivering results. I care about the people of Washington state. That's who I'm fighting for. And unfortunately, Patty Murray fights for Washington, D.C. Her and Joe Biden have a combined 80 years in government, and we are just not any better off in Washington state because of that. Okay, I, you didn't. You didn't say that he was legitimately elected. I just want to give you one more chance to say that. Or, and if you are comfortable with your answer, we'll, yeah. we'll move on. Yes, I, I think I made it clear. <laughs> he, he is our president. And again, I am focused on the voters of Washington State. I'm focused on the future okay. and what I can deliver. We have okay. a crisis here in Washington State, and I am here to turn crisis into hope. Let's talk about the, the stagecraft, which was roundly criticized, especially by those in the far right. Uh, Independence Hall was awash in red and blue, but red was prominently behind President Biden. How much does stagecraft play into what the president says? It, it does. And, and by the way, I have been nothing but a failed advanced person, so I'm terrible <laughs> at the stagecraft aspect of it. But I do think it was meant to convey a, a seriousness of purpose. The ruffles and flourishes, the hail to the chief, even the first lady being there was kind of it, it, creating this as a moment. Uh, and it is a moment. It's a moment where I think unless we heed and act on what the president said, we're going to hear these words again almost more as democracy's eulogy. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that he did was he actually excluded some groups of people. And I hate to be this dissenter among the group. I, I thought it was a great speech. But he ignored indigenous Americans, African Americans. If he was anchoring himself in 1776, there were a lot of people that were not included in We the People in 1776. You know, the, the president said he remains optimistic that this nation will weather this storm. As a historian, do you agree? Because I'm not so sure. It took a bloody war for us to come together as a nation. It took civil rights acts, voting rights acts. It's still taking another civil war. And I, I worry that we're on the precipice of another war. We are the most divisive as I've seen us since the civil war. And we lost a lot of lives. 700 lives were lost in the Civil War. I think we're more divided than we ever have been. But, but again, do you think, though, we can get through this? We can get through this. One of the ways I think we can is if we take a national history lesson where we all read a syllabus of books so that we understand our nation's history so that we understand where we've come from and where we're going, so that we can understand when we talk about we the people who was excluded and how we can bring people into mm -hmm. this conversation. And if we have a, a country that understands where we came from, I think we'll be in a much better position. Right, and I agree with you on that, Dinah. If, if you know, more of the American people knew, not only knew our history, but knew the true pieces of our history, even the uncomfortable pieces, uh, we yes. would have a better understanding of where we've been, who we are, and where we can go. Now, we certainly didn't hear McCarthy saying anything like that uh, for some of the comments that Donald Trump has made. Uh, but is he correct that he, that when Biden used this language, that he basically accused all Republicans uh, with a similar brush? Or did you think that he actually hit the right tone? Um, I think he correctly identified a strain within MAGA, MAGA world. I mean, it, there, there are very few words to describe what Republicans are doing. Like I mentioned, book bans. 
um, having students turn in teachers for wokeism. I mean, really chilling stuff, stuff you see in, in fascist countries uh, re Republicans have adopted. So there's no real other way to say it. And I think Biden was very careful in his speech yesterday to um, specify who he was talking about and say it's not all Republicans. It's not all Trump supporters. Look, you and I know Republicans, Sarah. We know Trump supporters. They're not all um, attached to this version of Trumpism. But the party's going in a very bad place. And more and more candidates that are running um, all across the country for really important positions like secretaries of state and attorneys general uh, want to do some really dangerous things. So, listen, I think he was going to get blamed for, you know, and take some heat for using correct words to describe what's happening. Uh, but he he was, you know, people have talked about uh, if it was divisive, it wasn't divisive. He talked about uh, a minority, a small group of people uh, who have extreme views. He also asked for people to come together. It didn't matter if you were a Republican or independent or a Democrat. He asked for folks to come together and stand against what we were seeing. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. And she's allowed just to sit up there and lie and lie and lie. It wasn't divisive. And the media goes along with it. It's not divisive. It's deserved. I mean, they are the fucking fascists. So for our media jerk off of the week, here's the media agreeing with everything you said. I am a politician. The media jerk off. Of the week. So hot. The fact is that the far left and the far right do not have remotely the same political strength in their parties. And this year's primaries provide the receipts. Now, this cycle, we've seen plenty of evidence that Trump's election lies are the GOP's litmus test. One recent analysis by the Washington Post found that 39 election deniers won their House primaries, and that's just in six key swing states. By comparison, the far left is falling far short. Now, the so-called squad may play a starring role in Republican attack ads, but they're more famous than powerful. Now, by my count, there are just seven House Democrats who officially support defunding the police, but 147 Republicans voted to overturn the election after the attack on our Capitol. Now, extremes are usually louder than they are large. And get this, just 12% of Democrats and Dem-leaning independents describe themselves as members of the progressive left. That's according to a 2021 survey by Pew, which translates to around 7% of registered voters. Seen with any sense of perspective, the mainstream of Democratic voters and party leadership is decidedly on the center left, not the far left. Remember, that's how Joe Biden won the 2020 nomination by ignoring the social media distortion field and instead appealing to actual Democratic primary voters who tend to be older, more moderate, and more working class than Twitter filibusters would suggest. Now with the 2022 House primaries, we've got a new metric, so let's dig into the data. Now, 
In New York's 17th district, Representative Alexander Ocasio-Cortez endorsed progressive state senator Alessandro Biagi to challenge Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, head of the DCCC. But Biagi lost big time, two to one. So too with Max Rose, a moderate military veteran and former congressman from Staten Island who easily outpolled a progressive primary challenger. But of course, it's not just a New York thing. For example, in Michigan's 11th district, Demrep Haley Stevens beat the more progressive representative Andy Levin. In Ohio, progressive firebrand and former state senator Nina Turner lost a rematch against the more moderate congresswoman Chantel Brown. In North Carolina's first district, state senator Don Davis, former mayor, military veteran and pastor, defeated a primary candidate who tried to run to his left in Illinois. Seventh, a much-hyped generational rematch fell after fell flat after community organizer Keena Collins lost to incumbent Danny Davis by around seven points, which was admittedly better than the 45-point trouncing she took two years ago. While in Texas, the last remaining anti-abortion Democrat in the House, Henry Cuellar, narrowly defeated a progressive challenge from Jessica Cisneros. But here's a really surprising national stat. According to Brookings, only 34% of the nearly 500 Democrats who've run for House or Senate this cycle call themselves progressive, with only about a quarter running on positions like defund the police or Green New Deal, while less than 2% identify... I think that's such a crucial point. His followers, Republican, Main Street, establishment Republicans, are echoing these calls for violence, all but threatening it. What was your take? Well, first of all, uh, I have my uh, red LED lighting since the Republicans are so, oh, my God, upset because uh, President Joe Biden, uh, they claim, oh, he looked like uh, he was in Russia. Pastor Charles Jenkins has uh, an intro to his song War, uh, where he says, when the enemy is coming at you, you can't fall down, you can't break down. This means war. That is where we are. We are at war with these people. These folks are evil. They have allowed evil into their house with Donald Trump. He has now dominated the party. This evil is spreading. And when you are in a war footing, you have to respond accordingly. It's about time President Joe Biden decided to get tough. It's about time his advisors stop being weak and stop being impotent and not fighting back. What these people want to do to this country is destroy democracy. They want to rig elections. And so it requires you to stand strong. You don't walk comments back. You don't wilt under the pressure. Republicans and conservatives, they are weak. All they do is whine and complain. Oh, my God. He called us semi-fascists. They have called Democrats uh, Marxists. They have called them communists. They have called them socialists. They have called them pedophiles. And all of a sudden, now you get hit and now you start whining. Well, guess what, Democrats? Guess what, Biden? Guess what, Jamie Harrison, Schumer, Pelosi, and everyone else? You keep hitting. You keep pounding because this is about the future of our children. I've got 13 nieces and nephews, and I'd be damned if I'm going to leave a country for them run by these crazed, deranged folks who want to impart evil. And it was a decision that would, once it was issued, explicitly overturn Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional right to abortion in this country, sending women back 50 years and opening up a horrific new chapter of American history as red states rushed to enact a flurry of new abortion bans and restrictions, each one more cruel than the last. Life imitating art, indeed. My conversation with Margaret Atwood went all the way to the end of the show, but after the lights faded and another show started, she and I continued our conversation. We recorded a deeper, more wide-reaching interview exclusively for NBC's uh, streaming platform, Peacock. 
But as we continue to discuss the themes intrinsic to The Handmaid's Tale, women's bodily autonomy and the dangers of a theocracy, it feels only right to show you a little bit more. So take a look. When you wanted to write about a totalitarian, authoritarian state, you wondered what form it would take. And back in 1985, when you wrote this, you uh, thought it would be a theocracy. In 2022, totalitarianism and authoritarianism are in better shape than they were when you wrote it. Do you still think that if it were the United States and, and we were to get that kind of um, authoritarian rule, that it would be based in, in religion? That's already happening uh, in a number of states. Um, so the, the the excuse for all of these laws that you've been talking about is, is really a religious one. It's, it's based on a religious belief. And uh, let us say here that we must distinguish between a belief and opinion and, and actual evidence-based factual knowledge. And uh, the difference is that you can... You can prove or disprove the third one, but you cannot prove or disprove the first one. A belief is a belief. Uh, it's not evidence-based, and an opinion can be either based on a can be based either on a on a belief or on a on a set of provable facts. And uh, all of these these ideas that uh, a cluster of cells is a human being that's a belief. Let me ask you about um, it depends on what you were thinking in, in 1985. It, it's, it's a dystopian novel. It's about a future that could be bad, and in this particular case, bad for women, but really bad for everybody, bad for democracy, bad for society. There were some winners in it, but it was kind of grim generally. Yeah. Do you feel better or worse about the future in 2022 than you did in 1985? Oh, I'd say quite a lot worse. It's because something that was a nascent movement in the 80s has now become pretty full-fledged and uh, people have seen uh, uh, raising religious slogans as a pathway to political power and they have taken that pathway and and many of them have succeeded um, but this MAGA crowd is so sensitive. They're like they're little so snowflakes. Yeah, they're very snow we were called, oh, the liberals are called snowflakes. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, oh. they have the nooses. They're saying to kill Mike Pence. They're the ones with the, uh, you know, with the guns going to kill Congress people. I take a little bit of issue with him broadly applying the term semi-fascist to Republicans. Do I think Donald Trump's to a semi-fascist? To MAGA Republicans. To MAGA okay, Republicans. be specific. Okay, that's true. Right. I think Donald Trump is. I think the vast majority of his supporters are not. I think they are good people who want an economy that works for them, who saw more money in their paycheck under Donald Trump. And my fear is this. I think Biden wants to be a uniter, but I don't think that that speech was uniting. 60 to 70 percent of Republicans, I'm not even saying MAGA Republicans or this Republican, 60 to 70 percent of Republicans believe that Donald Trump is the leader of their party. And so if you are saying that he is a fascist, what are they? If you are saying that he is a white supremacist, what are they? Right. If you are saying that he is a racist, what are they? Because if you follow someone that has hate in their heart, and I believe that he does, then you are complicit in that. And you don't get a pass on it. You do not get a pass on it. But the MAGA right. party of 2020 yeah. and before is not the MAGA party of 2022. We watched literally the January 6th insurrection, yeah. and a lot of people then said, if there wasn't already too much there, 
I can't deal with a president who doesn't peacefully transfer power. Right. So I think if you're still with him now, he is not saying Republicans are conservatives. He is saying MAGA, which yes. now has gotten even right. more extreme. And he's smartly playing to the independents because yeah. the independents are 41 percent mm -hmm. of voters compared to only 28 percent of Democrats and Republicans. And so if you're going for that middle ground, it, he just jumped nine points since July with independents. People about this very issue and you're getting a better understanding about how this really is backfiring for those Republicans. Blake Masters in Arizona, the Senate candidate Republican, trying to sort of rewrite his views on abortion. Mehmet Oz has run into challenges on this as well. And, and that's just where we start. So what is the challenge that Republicans are facing and what are you hearing as you speak to voters? Well, one of the challenges that I'm seeing when I talk to Republican candidates who are running is they don't really want to talk about abortion. Um, they want to talk about inflation. They want to claim that President Biden is wasting money and, and doing all these social programs that they don't believe in. Um, so Republicans, in some ways, they won this big generational win, right? This culmination of the conservative movement to, to overturn Roe v. Wade. But now that they've actually got that what they wanted, they don't want to talk about it. And that's a telltale sign that they feel like maybe possibly they've overreached. And when I go out to Florida, Michigan, Ohio, all states that I've hit because I've been out on the road talking to people, you, I really do feel this new enthusiasm. You see it in the polls, but I see it on the ground when I'm talking to women. They really feel like this human right, this civil right is something that, that they have to fight for. And I've also been hearing from Republican women, especially young Republican women who are saying they don't want to be in a generation where they are not, they're being told by the government what to do with their party especially Republican women who say, I don't want big government. I didn't want big government in my schools. I didn't want big government anywhere else. And I certainly don't want big government in my doctor's office. So this is the driver. Is this the motivator above all else? Economic issues, Republicans want to be the topic going into the midterms. But it seems for a lot of these voters, it's become a single issue in many ways. For a lot of voters, abortion is the top issue, along with, I will say, when I talk to Democrats, the issue of the state of our democracy and election deniers. Our so the, poll showing that was the top issue just recently. Certainly. Those, that's what I'm hearing when I hear from people. If you're a Republican, if you're a Republican who really cares about this issue and is very worried that abortion is your top issue, especially if you're going to be sort of changing your vote and maybe possibly voting for Democrat, which I've talked to a number of Republican women who are voting for the first time in their lives for Democrats. Of course, if you're a Republican who is sticking with the party, inflation and the economy is your number one issue. So, Tom, let me ask you about. They agree word for word. But here are two special sound bites. Followed by the intro to November 14, 2016, Flyover Politic podcast show. I'm going to play 10 minutes of it. This was right after the election. And why am I kicking it and like beating this fucking horse? This is what these people are saying. This is the violent rhetoric they say over and over and over and over and over. And they get on stage and say, you're evil, you're a terrorist. And they're never held accountable. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. When you look at how uh, how Trump gets treated, I mean, again, I, I think Trump is as odious a character as uh, I can think of, sure. really. Uh, I mean, in some ways, more odious than 
people who are objectively worse, right? I mean, in some ways, I you know, I have more respect for someone like Osama bin Laden than I do for Trump for uh, a variety of reasons. But so my 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 animus toward Trump is it can you know verges on the paradoxical. In, in what he, sense is it because of the lack of uh, you don't you don't find Trump genuine in a way that you find or found Osama bin Laden genuine? Or I'm interested in that. Yeah, there's something there. I mean, it's it's I think my my model of uh, Osama bin Laden's mind is that. Uh, he actually uh, could have been a, a a psychologically healthy, deeply ethical person uh, and truly compassionate person ruled by some terrible ideas. And this is what worries me most about jihadism. I mean, I, I see jihadism as the kind of perfect mind virus where you can actually be a good person, but if you're captivated by these idea, ideas, you can behave in a way that you know, not even the worst psychopaths get up to most of the time, right? Uh, and, and so there's, you know, that that's one form of violence and that's one, you know, typology of it. And, uh, it, but, but, but in Trump, I see a, a genuinely disordered personality, right? I, he, he seems like he has no moral core, right? I mean, if I believed in souls and you told me that, you know, his, his had been removed, um, you know, that would account for, for the problem. I mean, I just see, I see somebody who is so nakedly selfish and narcissistic and um, uh, unmoored to any value system uh, that I recognize that he, he actually, he's, there's something scarcely human about him. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, so in that sense, he's actually worse than people who have who have created much more harm intentionally, someone like Osama bin Laden. I mean, I, I recognize, in, in Osama bin Laden, I recognize a, a fully human person uh, running some very bad software. Uh, Trump Trump does not seem that way to me. Uh, he has no I ideology that I can detect apart from his own self-concern. Uh, and, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he strikes me as a kind of moral lunatic. Right. Uh, and I wouldn't say that of, of most jihadists, you know, frankly. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. And, you would have uh, been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said if we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still gonna have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump, and that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. 
A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's November 17th, year of our Lord 2016. It's a Thursday. Welcome back to the show. Today's show, we're going to cover Kellyanne Conway, the first female campaign manager to win the presidency. And and to be quite honest, the media, per SOP, because she is conservative, we're not hearing about glass ceilings. No glass ceiling, so I'm going to break the glass ceiling and talk about it. Number two is hashtag not my president. Sweet Jesus, the world is losing their freaking mind. Got to keep covering. And number three, what do I say to the children at breakfast? Van Jones starts a monster. And I have some serious, 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 serious dramatic reading to be doing on this. And we'll close the news and social media nuggets. So... The biggest freakout to date um, with the president-elect is twice he dareth left the press pool. And the one that really hit us and we found out about was uh, Tuesday, uh, it was Tuesday night. Um, he went to a dinner and they had said the lid was full. And that's when the press secretary says, hey, we're done for the day. There's nothing else. The press goes home and he changed his mind and said, hey, I'm going to leave Trump Tower. I'm going to go to 21 and get some chow. And the gnashing of teeth that ensued, even Mark Halperin gnashed his teeth. And here's how it sounded. We are going to have as an institution on behalf of the American people, not because we're a special interest, fights with this new administration about coverage. There's a reason why there's a protected pool. There's a reason why there's not blacklisting. The First Amendment's really important, and we need to... While we fight with the Trump people about this, we need to make the public understand we are doing this in the public interest. It's vitally important for the democracy. He should just start playing by the rules. They're not going to sit at the table with him. They're not going to have the camera on him. They'll be outside. As Mike said, it's it's required 
not not for fun. I get that. It's required for democracy. I get that. And openness and accountability. I'm just going to challenge it slightly. Like that little trip to the 21 Club. Did you really think we nobody was going to see that in the world of iPhones and Facebook Live and I'm just whether, saying, it's like... Not, it's not about whether it's reported. First of all, it almost, I, totally, I come from all, this. There were a couple of Bloomberg people there. Otherwise, I'm not sure it would have been reported. But the point is, when he leaves and he's in public, mm -hmm. there has to be a protective pool because of accountability. There just does. Because we wouldn't have seen him there. No, it's not about seeing him inside. It's about what might happen to him as he travels from point A to point B. It's a, it's, it's a little bit ghoulish, and it's uncomfortable to talk about. Oh. But, but I'll, I'll just say is... This fight is an important fight, but there are much more important fights coming about press freedom on behalf of the public interest, not on behalf of the media, mm -hmm. on behalf of the public interest. And they need to understand, that if they don't, they need to understand why the rules exist. Oh, the institutional press, it's tradition, tradition, tradition. It's like Fiddler on the fucking roof on MSDNC. But it didn't stop there. 16 journalistic associations decided to write the president-elect a letter of condemnation which I shall dramatically read now. Dear President-elect Trump, we, a group of diverse journalism associations representing thousands of journalists from the nation's capital to every corner of this country, begin this letter on a hopeful note. Your administration is a blank slate, and we are eager to work with you to perpetuate one of the nation's greatest strengths, our freedom of press. We expect that you, as the new leaders of the free world, will preserve long-standing traditions and ensure coverage of the Trump presidency. The idea of a press pool that covers all of the president's movements is one that dates back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration. Every president of both parties has treated this important tradition with respect. The role of the press pool is critically important to our country, whose citizens depend on and deserve to know what the president is doing. This isn't about access for the press itself. It's about access for the Americans in diverse communities across the country. Your constituents receive information from a variety of platforms to learn about what our president is doing. Being president is an enormous responsibility and working with the White House Correspondents Association and Sir Journalists Access is one small but important part of that. We call on you to commit to a protective press pool from now until the final day of your presidency, which we hope is very soon. We respectfully ask you to instill a spirit of openness and transparency in your administration in many ways, but first and foremost, be us the press pool. We also call for access to you via regular press conferences and pool sprays and to your key decision makers. 
You have an opportunity as incoming president to set this tone for your staff, speaking on the record for the sake of transparency. We also hope your administration will improve response rates to FOIA requests as a way to show the American people, the world, that the Republic belongs to the people. A great America depends on having sunlight on its leaders. We expect the tradition of the White House press coverage to be upheld, whether in Washington or elsewhere. Again, we, a joint group of diverse journalism associations, speak as one as we respectfully ask that you take these steps to ensure access to our members covering your administration. Thomas Burr. President, National Press Cub, Cub, which is kind of club, Barbara Cochran, President, National Press Club Journalism Institute, and a bunch of other fucking douche nozzles. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Because he, for the second time, ditched him. And here's my point, oh, journalists. When you do titles like this, NBC News, Trump leaves press behind for a steak dinner showing lack of transparency. That's what they said. Now, do I need to remind my listeners about the many, many times the Obama administration said to FOIA, request suck a big meaty cock do i need to remind you how many times the president didn't do press conferences do i need to remind you about all the things the press didn't find about hillary rodham clinton's foundation hillary rodham clinton's server and remember boys and girls they got emails from clinton.com they knew this was happening we know that because of WikiLeaks. Jennifer Paul Mary and all of them were having soirees with Chuck Todd, Jake Tapper, and at all of the mainstream media. But yet, we didn't have that because we didn't really care about sunlight hitting the ball sack of the Obama administration. But now we're shit in the bed. Their full report went like this. In a highly unusual move, this being NBC, President-elect Donald Trump on Tuesday night left his Manhattan residence without notifying the reporters covering him or giving any indication of where he was going. The maneuver seemed to be deliberately limit the access to the media. The only way the press eventually ascertained his whereabouts was after a Bloomberg reporter, who happened to be dining at the 21 Club, tweeted a photo of Trump and some of his transition team in Midtown Steakhouse. Trump's spokesman, Hope Hicks, later told NBC News he's having dinner with his family. I, I don't even have any more words. I'm just going to leave that as as it is. You know, the media is going to go crazy because they realized for fucking two years they treated a guy like deep fried dog shit. They said he was stupid. He was unfit to be the president. They covered him in their celebrity sections. They did all this crazy shit. Now he's the president and they know he's going to give a big middle finger to them for accident.
He's Osama bin Laden. That, that's what he is. Osama bin Laden. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Sure. That's not violent rhetoric. We impeached a president for saying, go over and peacefully protest. Peacefully protest. But that guy can say he's Osama fucking bin Laden. And all the while in the background, while this is all happening, we have Vogue idolizing these people that say everybody who doesn't agree with me is horrible. You got Kathy Griffiths saying that there's going to be a civil war unless you vote Democrat. That's not in the news. It's not even a big deal. In there, I played... They can't even comment that they, the administration, went to me social media and told them not to print shit. Don't put this out. And our social media platforms, yeah, they went along with it. But tell me if a Republican said, if you don't vote for Trump, we're going to have a civil war. Tell me that would be okay. Anybody? Here's fuck nuts. Back to the white Christian nationalist shit. Left undisturbed, the extreme white Christian nationalism today will inevitably lead to violence and cruelty and lawlessness. Major Garrett used to be a normal guy. Well, he, you know, it's it's that cycle. Talk about Trump. Hate Trump, say things so people keep playing your shit, write a book, make a lot of money. I came to the realization this week that that's when I went through um, a website, it was Mediate, and I was trying to get sound bites for the show, just seeing if there's anything that stood out. Nine in ten articles are about Trump because they can't leave it. They know that's all the left wants to talk about. They're obsessed with it. It is like your first crush you had on a girl. That's what Trump is for these people. But for the journalist, it's a money-making machine. So he says the big truth. The 2020 election was the greatest success of American democracy in history. Considering they changed 80 voting laws and Facebook ran polling stations. Greatest in history. CNN's even running. Biden used the Marines during Philadelphia speech as a debate over politicization of the military. And guess what? That used to be what they were about the right, but it's now the left. Tom Nichols. The President of the United States has told us directly that our system of government is under attack. What happens next is way up there. Biden puts us in chains. In that book, speaking to supporters of Virginia, Vice President Joe Biden and Republicans and Wall Street would put Americans back in chains. They said it. Every Republican voted for it, looking at what they value and look at the budget and blah, 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 blah. Romney said in the first 100 days he's going to let his big banks write their own checks. And there are people arguing online that he never said that. And what's happening? It's being suppressed. Liberals this week. What are we going to do with these horrible people? The same they, they came out from under rocks. It will be hard for them to go away. Germany did it. So can we. 
That's a journalist. Brighton brings the war on terror home. And it's not an article saying it's wrong. No, it's an article saying it's it's right. Because that's the only way they can win. they got to be able to tell people, hey, if you don't vote, but 57% YouGov. I took a survey on YouGov. It's liberal-minded. Everybody said it was over the top. It was too far. Kathy Hochul told 5.4 million fucking Republicans to leave New York. That's okay. This week, and I don't think I grabbed a picture of it. Um, Let me double sec. I don't think I did. No. I'm just going to leave that up for the rest of the segment. Uh, Oilfield Rando. I go to work. I work hard. I go to the gym. I hunt. I fish. I spend time with friends and family. I pay my taxes and don't break the law. I play disc golf. I'm a threat to the very soul of the nation. Another guy. I'm a gay man. I'm a black husband. I drop my kids off at school every morning. I play cards with my senior mom. I go to church every Sunday. I always pay my taxes. I'm a threat to the soul of democracy. I'm a registered nurse. And people just went on and on and on and on. And you know why? I tweeted, I served, never go to college, never got to go to college, took their fucking vaccine, and now I've been sick for seven fucking months. But the best thing and the most important thing that came out of this is that you're seeing more and more people of dark persuasion saying, what the fuck? Hi, everyone. This message is for the President of the United States. So if you know someone close to him, please tag them so they can bring this to his attention. My name is Alma Eugenio Pari. I'm a person of faith, a husband of 16 years, and a father of four wonderful children. I am also an immigrant to the United States of America. I came here at the age of 19, full of hope, optimism, and a willingness to do what was necessary to achieve the American dream. After 18 years of waiting and hoping, I was finally granted the privilege of becoming an American citizen in 2021. Today, I am a proud American, a law-abiding patriot, and a man willing to defend the principles and values that made America great and brought people like me here. Mr. President, I am also a conservative Republican, or what you have recently labeled a MAGA Republican. Over the last few days, you have looked into the camera and called me and millions of other people like me extremists. You have told me and my children that we don't matter to you because of our beliefs. Your spokespeople and the media have labeled us dangerous, full of hate and a threat to democracy. You went as far as to suggest that we would not stand a chance against the government's F-15s in defending our country from tyranny. Your party leaders have taken your cue and called us terrorists and all this without taking any time to acknowledge our humanity, listen to our concerns or seek to understand our fears. I was born in a country where my rights were not always guaranteed and to hear the president of America and the leader of the free world dismiss more than 70 million of his own countrymen as fringe and extreme and not worth listening to breaks my heart and makes me wonder what I should tell my children about the future of this once great shining city on a hill. This is the reason 
many of us embrace the call to make America great again. It is because we believe our great nation is under a moral, fiscal, and spiritual assault. We are MAGA because we want to restore the promise in the hearts of our children that this is the place where their efforts will be rewarded and where their true potential can be realized. We are MAGA because we believe in freedom of speech, the freedom to exercise our religion. We believe in limited government and the rule of law. We are MAGA because we love the Constitution and believe our founders established a means for we the people to defend it from enemies, both foreign and domestic. I am MAGA because I want to be able to look into the eyes of my four black children to assure them that they're not victims, that they hold inside them what it takes to achieve anything they set their hearts on. We believe our leaders should put America and its interests first before any other nation. We believe our government should not saddle our children and grandchildren with insurmountable debt, chasing after a misguided idea of controlling or changing the course of the climate. Millions of us were horrified to witness what happened on January 6 and believe that justice must be served. But we also see through the attempt to paint all Republicans with a false moniker of insurrectionists and to conflate the genuine misgivings of those who feel disaffected and disenfranchised with an unfounded accusation that we are somehow against democracy. We are MAGA because we love law enforcement, but doubt whether the Justice Department or the FBI can be trusted to deal fairly and impartially when they have given us clear and repeated evidence of their political bias against half of the country. As a new American, this November will be the first time I get to exercise my right to vote, a right I've waited nearly two decades to earn. I understand the urge during an election season to attack those you see as political opponents. But Mr. President, I am not your enemy and the tens of millions of MAGA Republicans are not filled with hate towards anyone. We love this country. We are heirs of the great legacy of freedom this country has afforded us and wish to exercise our right to be heard and not demonized. So I ask you, Mr. President, to tear down this wall of divisiveness and division that seeks to pit your fellow citizens against one another. Heed your own call for unity and lay off the rhetoric that seeks to demonize and defame millions of people who would give their lives and fortunes to defend these United States. If you believe in the redemption of America, then give my children a reason to hope, a reason to believe that our best days are ahead of us, in spite of the challenges we face as a country. Thank you for listening. Again, the Democrats have a wartime president. The problem is he's declared war not on drugs or poverty or even pumpkin spice lattes, but on other Americans. You, me, your parents, those freaks on Fox and Friends. <laughs> but I guess there's bad in everything. There's bad in everything. There's lousy senators, there's lousy presidents, there's lousy doctors, there's lousy lawyers. <laughs> Sounds like his administration. But, you know, maybe he used to be in the old days a pretty good athlete. I used to be in the old days a pretty good athlete. And if someone was really big and tough, you say, I wouldn't screw with him about a sledgehammer. Ah. 
Sounds like someone took a sledgehammer to his head. His sentences wander more than he does. What? Oh, did I go too far? But remember what used to be the criticism when Biden was running. Remember what used to be the criticism of Biden when I was running? <laughs> Biden's too bipartisan. Biden has too many Republican friends. Not a joke. What in God's name has happened to that? Yeah, you know what happened to that? You happened to that. Yeah, muttering Magoo. You told a big fib. We were told you were going to unify us after evil orange Godzilla, and then you got in charge and you turned into AOC and extra large depends. <laughs> Turns out Joe's more divisive than a shop class table saw. But at least, but at least you don't keep demonizing those brave right-wing Americans. For those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe. If you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use that's used to provide this. And who are they shooting at? Shooting at these guys behind me. <laughs> so he says he's not joking, which means he's stupid. Because... <laughs> Nothing he said suggests he understands anything about America. Okay, supporters of the Second Amendment, good luck using that against a tactical fighter aircraft. Ah! Sorry, jackass. I'm sorry, Mr. President. Jackass. With that logic, we should give up all our rights because they're also no match for someone flying a bomber. The worst part is he thinks this is clever. He's like Jesse Waters when he discovers a new word. <laughs> Have you ever noticed? He just says it over and over again and always in the wrong context. <laughs> Look, the right to bear arms exists whether there are bombers or not. In fact, it's the Second Amendment that keeps us not from being bombed by Joe, but from being invaded by other countries. There's no way anyone could invade the United States. Didn't you see Red Dawn? <laughs> we got 400 million guns, and that's just under Judge Janine's bed. <laughs> True. Don't, don't break into that place. But one small town would decimate the enemy. And why? Second Amendment. So you can have your F-15. But it's also our F-15. In fat chance you get any American pilot to bomb an American city. Besides, after what the Dems have done to our cities, bombing them seems kind of redundant. So Joe's delivering another speech tomorrow about the threat to democracy, which means they've already started defrosting him. <laughs> but, but if he's talking about threats to democracy, it's not us, but it's also not him. The only thing he's a threat to is a pair of clean underwear. <laughs> but obviously, <coughs> obviously, it's his party's policies we have a problem with. We don't demonize the voters. We attack the policies. We make fun of him. Crime, inflation, Ukraine, the border, Afghanistan, student loan forgiveness, taxes. The Dems screw up on all these things, then demonize you for wanting to repair the damage. It's like Joy Behar being mad at the guys who fix broken mirrors. <laughs> they like that one. But this pre-demonization is a form of self-defense, like spraying holy water at Nancy Pelosi. 
But this should bug you because we were sold the wrong Joe. We were expecting Biden and got Stalin. He was going to bring us all together. Well, he have succeeded. He brought the right together like Michael Moore in a bowl of buttermilk. <laughs> what gives, Joe? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm all about unity. I'm a unity guy. But what's, what's the first letter of unity? You. As you do what I say. That's how it works, man. Come on. Did you ever try to put a Kevlar vest on a deer? That's no joke. Yeah. Tough guy with a gun. I got an F-15. I'm, uh, I'm Top Gun. I'm, uh, I'm Goose. I'm, I'm Iceman. The Iceman cometh. Global warming. It's no joke. Is he driving? Uh, remember when old Joe told voters, if you don't like him, you can vote for someone else? Now the people who listened are called fascists. His idea of a terror group are moms who attend school board meetings. Now, remember, Trump never went after voters. He went after the press, of course, politicians, celebrities, you know, real evil. He didn't see Americans as the enemy. Joe's different. With no solutions and a party paralyzed by wokeness, he must stoke fear against the other. He says we're moving toward semi-fascism, which sounds like semi-flaccid, something Dr. Jill has been praying for for the last 30 years. <laughs> Disgusting. Despicable. But if the Republicans are semi-fascist, what does that make Joe? Remember the violence when Trump won? The riots in D.C.? Joe said nothing. Trump supporters getting attacked? Joe didn't say a thing. How about the riots that went on for months? Dozens died. Joe basically had to be forced to come out of a basement to say something. Remember the government coerced censorship? Or that Merrick Garland didn't stop the illegal protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices even after the attempt on Brett Kavanaugh? But the Dems are busy mining one single day in history as proof that 70 million people extol political violence because apparently being consistently violent is preferable to one day that's such an oddity that everyone condemned it. If only they were Dems, then Kamala would have bailed them out. They were talking about Hunter Biden's laptop, which was a story, and now all the mainstream press has finally admitted it was a real story. It was a real laptop with... Now, look, let's not pussyfoot around this. He was selling the influence of his father, Joe Biden. I mean, most political sons do. Let's not pretend that at least wasn't going on. I mean, the guy, some guy from China gave him after a dinner an $80,000 diamond after dinner, as one does. Yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> if you're Naomi Campbell, but it doesn't <laughs> usually happen. To, okay, so Hunter Biden's laptop was buried by the press. E even the head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, said that was a mistake. They buried the story because they remembered what happened with James Comey and the letter 11 days before the 2016 election. Comey said, we got to reopen this email investigation with Hillary Clinton. And it probably was the last, I mean, she ran a horrible campaign, didn't go to Wisconsin, we know all that. But this was probably the last thing that sunk her. So Sam Harris says it was appropriate, it was appropriate for Twitter and the heads of big tech and the heads of journalistic organizations to feel that they were in the presence of something that is a once in a lifetime moral emergency, meaning Trump. So he's saying it's okay to have a conspiracy, to get rid of somebody as bad as Trump. It's a little bit of a thorny question because once you go down this road, this is sort of where we are in this country 
The other side is so evil, anything is justified in preventing them from taking office. Is it? No, no. You know what's not justified? Using armed violence to try to kill people in the Capitol. That's not justified. Answer this question. Huh? Is it, was it, answer this question. What is was the it question? The question is, was, was it press? appropriate to bury the Hunter Biden? You're talking about the press doing the, that? He's saying that's what they did, and that is what they did. They buried the Hunter Biden story before the election because they were like, we can't risk having the election thrown to Trump. I even put in the Bill Maher arguing with Reiner shit because it's, it's everywhere now. People aren't fucking stupid. They're just not fucking stupid. It is completely out of control. It's just out of control. CNN, color shifted to make it more pink. In fact, let, let, me, let me actually show it. There it is. They lightened it. They knew it looked bad, so they're helping them. But what's really going on behind the scenes? Politico reports White House anger at CNN over negative coverage of Biden's speech. Too negative. NPR, what did they cover? Oh, uh, Biden having an all-white meeting of lefty historians. There was no black people. Simultaneously, Republican women aren't voting according to leftist agenda. And why do they even have a voice, really? League of Women Voters. Women deserve to have our priorities taken seriously by lawmakers in November. We're going to demand it. We're voting for action, for hope, for justice, and when women vote, we win. Yeah, well, so far women vote for hope. Seem to have trend towards women losing their sports, bathrooms, and everything else. That's actually the truth. Real clear politics. A moderate. Biden bets everything on strategy of division. That's what he's going with. But you, you don't hear it. They are carrying so much water, it is laughable. And then on the other side, Joe Biden saying, here we are, I'm president, but the democracy is in peril. Like 1860, like 1940, we're in a situation where few things go the wrong way. We could lose our system, our rule of law our free and fair elections. And just as, as Lincoln gave the House divided speech, just as Roosevelt gave a speech on the State of the Union about the four freedoms, as you well know, 1941, you know, here is the time when President Biden has chosen. I'm not suggesting that this year is the equivalent except for in one respect. And that is if you know, a historian from 50 years from now were to go back and visit America in the 20, in 2022, the overwhelming question is, are we going to have a democracy? But, you know, really, there's a time in a game, a basketball game, you can just see it on the court happening, a football game, a soccer, and in politics. I've, I've always noticed it in politics. I'm sure you have, too where momentum shifts in a very significant way. Uh, and again, we're still, um, we're still a long way off until the elections. I'm not saying that Republicans aren't going to have a historic year. They should. But last night was Joe Biden uh, and the Democratic Party off their heels yeah. for the first time, I think, since 2020. This is... They're a turning point. Th this, is, this is a turning point. 
Joe, I'm going to quote you for months now. Freaks, weirdos, and insurrectionists. You've been advising Democrats talking about Republicans. This is who they are. This is what they're doing. And the president effectively was saying that uh, yesterday in different terms, perhaps. But he, that's what he was saying. He was like tapping into something that is really out there. And his boost in the polls is coming from independents who are watching what's happening in the country and saying, no, it's, it's not okay. It's extreme to defend an attempted coup of an American presidential election. No, it's not okay to force a 14-year-old girl to have her rapist baby. No, it's not okay to take boxes and boxes of classified documents to a country no. club and then lie about them and not turn them over when asked. That is extreme. So it seems, Jonathan Lemire, that Joe Biden, and maybe we'll see more of it tomorrow night in that primetime speech, he is stepping into this place right now where a lot of Americans are where things seem like they're going off the rails on one side of the aisle. And think of the different places, the split screen by these two men right now. Donald Trump, you know, headlines growing worse by the day about what the DOJ found at Mar-a-Lago. Republicans left to scramble to try to defend that or, in this case, distract, try to deflect, talk about something else. They see the polls. Their Senate candidates in a number of states are in trouble. They're worried also now about their ability to flip the House. And then you have President Biden, who is quite simply on a roll. Democrats have momentum. They have the win at their back, a series of legislative wins, some bipartisan, some Democrats only. And there's just a new energy. White House aides I spoke to say the place feels revitalized. They feel like as we hit Labor Day at stretch run of this campaign, Democrats love where they are and they are painting the Republican. You know, it's always said this is the most important election in our history. Well, it's pretty close to it. And I would say to our friends who are watching us today, vote as if your life depends on it because it might you know the, the meeting that you had with the president happened uh before the search uh at mar-a-lago yes. again unprecedented the, to have the home of anyone who has had the title of president of the united states first time ever after this wild week what would you tell the president now I think what I would say is you have to pursue the law and you have to let your attorney general do his thing. And that's advice, obviously, he did not need. You know, the thing I hated most about this week, Jonathan, was not just the fact that Donald Trump had done things that no ex-president had done. You know, national security documents, nuclear documents reportedly by your newspaper uh, that could put our children in danger if they get to be public or if they're given to some foreign government or get to a terrorist. Presidents are supposed to pro protect us, not do that. But you know what was even worse than that? Kevin McCarthy threatened the possible right. next speaker of the House of the Republicans win, threatened an attorney general and said, you'd better lay off, essentially, you'd better lay off Trump or else there's going to be violence. When have we ever seen that before in American history? And even reports that Trump himself tried to send a message to Merrick Garland that unless you give me some kind of immunity, you're going to have a civil war. That's a threat. No one should make it an ex-president of all people. And, and so finally then, given everything that you just said, and your last answer is truly the most frightening thing um, that, that, that I've heard or we can even contemplate. Are we going to survive this? I don't know, but what I, w what I would say is look at America. You know, remember those two moments I mentioned? 1860, we went through a civil war. God help us. I don't think that's going to happen in terms of the sense of military on the field. And we certainly got through the fascist wave of the 1930s. So the hopeful part of this is that 
America does have resilience, and we do get over moments like this. Let's pray together that we do. From your lips to God's ears, Michael Beschlein. So from a legal perspective, not a good week for the president. Political perspective, though, could be a bit different. What is your take? Right. I think that's uh, key, Bianca. It, it's not a good situation legally. But what's really astonishing is the way the president, and even more so uh, the Republicans, uh, without uh, very much information, nobody really knows what's going on, particularly in the uh, Mar-a-Lago search, but are lashing out uh, at the FBI, at the Justice Department, in the most uh, reckless terms, uh, saying that uh, uh, the FBI, the Justice Department are corrupt, nobody is safe, uh, they're coming after you. Uh, rhetoric really designed uh, to rile people up, and you can see it in the uh, pro-Trump social media, a lot of talk of civil war and picking up arms and bloodshed. We're seeing a lot uh, of violent rhetoric uh, from Fox News saying uh, it's war, You're, you are under attack. Uh, so they're very much doing this in a reckless way uh, that uh, has the ability to foment violence. And that, in this sense, the last 24 hours does tie into what I've been writing about over the last 25 years, because we've had these repeated episodes of violent rhetoric uh, from the Republicans and, and, and from uh, conservative uh, TV and radio that have resulted uh, in, uh, in protracted periods of violence. And there's a lot of concern that we may be headed uh, here in the United States for another, say, Oklahoma City bombing of the 1995 variety. Uh, this idea of sort of uh, rallying uh, people based on their patriotism, saying the people in our party are patriots, the people in the other party are traitors, it was certainly a trademark of Trump's presidency, but this is also something uh, that goes back to uh, the Gingrich era and certainly happened during the George W. Bush's presidency, when they began to say the people on the other side of the aisle are not just uh, our opponents, but they are the enemy. They're our enemies. Uh, that began about 25 years ago, and we're really at this point now where, you know, you have the Republican. Good morning. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. Searing heat, massive wildfires, catastrophic flooding. Unequivocal evidence, the United Nations says, that climate change is real and that human activity is its primary cause. So how bad can it get? According to some scientists, the possibility of worldwide societal collapse or even eventual human extinction isn't out of the question. It's a harsh warning, to say the least. And yet, this morning, Tracy Smith finds there's still reason for hope. Living through the summer of 22 has made climate change harder to deny, whether here in bone-dry Nevada or in the Caribbean, where rampant seaweed growth is choking beaches, or Kentucky, where too much water created a tragedy that's still unfolding. But it seems there are still those who could use convincing that climate change has become a climate emergency. Hollywood scientists have been sounding the climate alarm for decades, but last spring some real scientists chained themselves to a Los Angeles bank in protest over the lack of action. We're going to lose everything, and we're not joking. We're not lying. We're not exaggerating. This is so bad, everyone. So do you feel like you're sitting on all this science and you're trying to share it with the world and no one's listening? That's exactly how I feel, yes. How did you get into climate? Peter Kalmus, yeah, a NASA yeah. scientist and father of two, says that we should be scared to death about the climate right now. I think that if your house is on fire, 
you get the adrenaline, you get the panic, and that saves your life because you get out of the house and you put the fire out. And that's, so you want people to freak out. I do this. want people to freak out. Yeah, I don't think people are freaking out enough. There's not enough public urgency over this. For starters, he wants people to know what the world is going to feel like in summers to come. So if this summer is so ridiculously hot, what is next summer going to look like? In general, it's a trend going up. 20 years from now, we will look back on the summer of 2022 and we will wish that we had it this good. We will wish it was this cool. And that's not an exaggeration whatsoever. And for the most part, the scientific community is behind him. It was a very effective message, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, one-on-one -on -one versus an incumbent president. Yeah. Can you make that in a midterm election campaign, which we all know the first midterm is generally about the president in power, but you call this a state of the union for the midterm year. Why? Because 2021 was not a good year for Joe Biden and 2022 is starting to shape up to be pretty good. He got gasoline prices down. The Roe decision, you know, the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was uh, an apocalypse in the Democratic world. But Biden's able to say, get behind Democrats or this is what you're going to get. And I think he's seen now as a commander in chief dealing with the Ukraine climate crisis everywhere, a burning, forest burning across America. That's a democratic issue. And so uh, we see Biden being like uh, fighting Joe Biden of Scranton this past week. I suspect we'll see more of that tonight, but it's also at a great stage like Philadelphia's Independence Hall where he could relate back to the founders and Abraham Lincoln. Is this a moment, uh, George W. Bush, the only president in modern times not to lose House seats in the first midterm election? That's the one that came right after 9-11. The country viewed it as a crisis, crisis moment. But every other, Ronald Reagan was a good politician. Bill Clinton was a good politician. Barack Obama was a good politician. They all lost seats in their first midterm election in the House. Can Joe Biden defy history? Do you see it at this moment as that big? Two weeks ago, I would have said impossible. But there is a blue wave going on right now. And I think it's, it's the House is in play. Why? Women, women, women. Um, well, I mean, the fact of the matter, when Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights and Civil Rights Act and said, there goes the South, when the Supreme Court demolished Roe v. Wade, uh, it really said, there goes the women's vote, whatever that we consider that in America, shifting to the Democrats. And I think the amount of women that are engaged this year, midterm year, is something like we've never seen in American history. One caveat. Ever since women's suffrage in, you know, in 1920, we're always talking about the women's vote. It often doesn't show up in blocks. I have a feeling. What fucking planet are they on? Seriously, what fucking planet are you on you think he's the best thing? They're demanding four nations to stop conversion therapy. I... NPR, because of Biden, all trimester abortion facility in our nation's leader, black, uh, another Black Lives Matter leader, $10 million missing. $10 million. $10 million. It's going to cost us $2,000 per taxpayer for his college ba bailout. I... <sighs>
I, I sit and look at the fact that they said they did a fucking debt reduction. And it actually was a climate bill. New York Times, new analyst, the big winner from President Biden's plan to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars a student isn't rich people, it's the middle class. Lie. Lie. That's a lie. And we all know by now that we're dealing with a terrible problem in California because they did straight green and now they don't have enough power. So they're telling people not to use, put your, put your shit on 78 and cool in the morning, which doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense at all. But here's that idiot grand home acting like it's the greatest thing ever. California is in the lead, can show the rest of the nation how it is done. And how about Afghanistan? I watched a great documentary. It's by Tim Kennedy and the guy that owns Ranger Up. It's called Send Me. And here's a gold star mother talking. And Biden himself. Not today, but I have spoken in the past. He interrupted me and started talking about his son. About his son. And I remember looking at him and going, what are you doing? And then I said something along the line, this isn't about your son, this is about my son. And um, I told him he had no business talking about his son. And then I started again uh, talking about my son. And then he said, I just wanted to let you know how I feel. At that point, now I'm even more angry because he said he'd brought up his son because he just wanted to let me know how he feels. I probably sound like I didn't care that he'd lost a kid and I didn't mean for it to sound that way. It's his son died of cancer. So they had time to be there, with him, spend time with him, tell him goodbye. My son died because of the very man that I was talking to. It's impossible to explain the, the level of desperation that, that people felt. I mean, you just think that the first couple of days when, when people were trying to hang on to the bottom of C-17s, that's desperation that Americans, like, Americans don't understand that level of desperation. It was a very clear mission, which was to go rescue Aziz. I knew that if I didn't personally intervene, Aziz would die. Chad and I connected, we'd worked together over the last several years, and I just said, you know, how can I help? It's great we're gonna go help Aziz, but I'm talking to this orphanage over here that's 3,500 orphans. Let's not just help this limited group. Let's help as many people as we can. I was either gonna be sitting on my couch tweeting about how this is all up, or I was gonna be one of the 12 people that was making it a little less 24 hours later, tickets are booked. Then we're getting on a plane. I knew I would be more of an asset working with whoever's on the ground. The military was not allowed to go outside the wire. That was the rules of engagement. They can't go outside and help people. Americans, something can happen right in front of them. They can't go outside and help. The Taliban looked right at them. They just executed the woman on the hood just to try to elicit response. Just to be like, just so we're super clear about who is in charge here, I'm gonna murder this woman right in front of you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Their version of crowd control was when it got out of hand, they would just dump a AK mag 
and be proud. Whoever just made this decision to turn his bus around essentially just killed, just murdered these people. But some of those people are Americans. There's not enough emotional capacity left in my soul to be able to mourn four busloads of people that are about to die. I'm trying to save a woman and her children, but off to like five feet away from me is a, is a dead child. There's just everywhere. Some of us don't forget. Some of us fought there. Some of us lost a lot of friends there. We don't forget, but you don't hear that. You don't hear how he doesn't talk to Gold Star families or how he talks to Gold Star families. It's all a sham. He always talks about his son, and I lost a son who was a soldier. He also had a son who literally got kicked off for drugs. So we should never forget what he did to Afghanistan, that he gave it back to the Taliban, and he made the leader of Afghanistan lie about the situation on the ground, and we impeached a fucking president for that. It was so important, we impeached a president. So, I'm going to go into a quick woke, and then this is America, and then Noah Gregson. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly And they all go marching in the big parade Do use non-binary language with your kids? For example, if you're playing with some toys with them, you could assign one of their toys to be non-binary. So instead of always referring to their dolls or their animal toys as he or she, you can use they, them pronouns. When you're telling a story to your kids, you can have a character that's non-binary. So instead of saying she, you can have they or them. This introduces your kids to the idea that it's not just she, her, or he, him, and it's just a really easy way to get them used to the idea of they, them pronouns. Today I'm going to be teaching you how to use frog frogs pronouns and sentences, so let's go! Frog frogs pronouns? That sounds so cool! Ding, ding, ding. And that's because it is cool! Because that means that the person that's using these neo pronouns is staying super curious about frog self and wants to know more about frog self. And I, as a non-neo pronoun user, respect the hell out of that because that takes so much courage. I just wanted to mention that. You don't need my approval. But anyway, frog is such a great person. Frog's smile is so contagious. In fact, I saw a frog make a whole audience smile. I think Frog should be very proud of Frog Self. Oh my goodness, we made it through! And if you need more help on how to use neopronouns and sentences, go here! Today I'm Puberty blockers are used once puberty has started, but not when you're too far along. And what they do is they just pause your puberty where it's at. And that gives you time to further explore your gender identity without the extra pressure of developing in a gender 
in which you might not feel comfortable. And then if you continue those puberty blockers long enough, then you can start replacement therapy with the uh, gender identity hormone of your choice when you reach usually around 15 or so or once you've been on that puberty blocker for at least a couple of years. Hope that answers your question. I think one thing that um, probably should be explained to a lot of people is you're like you're never like too young to know about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it's something that people should be taught like especially at a young age because it's easier to learn that way and that way it's something you've always known. And I feel like a lot of people think that oh my kids are going to be around trans people they're going to want to be just like them. Well maybe maybe it's like a good thing for people who don't know that they're trans to be around trans people so they can get that advice they can help understand themselves better and I feel like it's a good thing for just people to like they don't just just for them to know about this stuff because it spreads awareness mm -hmm. so the entire English language doesn't mean anything no it, it really does you're building a construct that does not exist around this. that's how language works and I know I'm a writer Okay, again, you're, you're mislabeling exactly why we're hearing what we're doing. If, if I was who you think I am, I would not be talking to you this way. I would not be having this civil discourse or this dialogue or this discussion. If I was who you think I am, I would not allow anyone who disagrees with me to say whatever they want at any time here. See, again, when you stop talking, that's when violence starts. And you've seen it in this city the last couple weeks. Because there's hatred on both sides of people that really want to get worked up. What's your... Um what, what, what's the outcome you're trying to get? What's the impact you're trying to get? Hopefully people will learn something and that you'll realize that you can have reasonable disagreement without having to call people names or think that they're... What, what's the policy implications of extending... Okay, how about this? How about not having taxpayers fund 15-year-old sexual reassignment surgery without parental consent in the state of Oregon? That would be that's nice. That's like a, that happens. It does. It's a state law in Oregon. It's a state law. Gender reassignment surgery. For 15 year olds without parental consent is a state law in the state of Oregon. Do they can have surgery? Yes, funded by the taxpayers. That's a problem. Yeah, speaking as someone who has been through the process of sexual reassignment surgery in the state of Oregon as an adult, that doesn't happen. Okay, again, you can have your own opinions, you can't have your own facts. It's a state law that the, the government will fund your sexual reassignment surgery. Yeah, but will the doctors do it? Will your insurance cover it? Okay, when the government covers it, they cover the cost of the, of the procedure. Yes, I know. Mine was covered by taxpayer dollars. You disagreed to it. You just you disagreed with my whole point. I don't think that's correct. So you think it's wrong that I should have been able to have a life-saving procedure when I don't have the money to pay for it myself? Don't make me pay for it. That's the whole point. So I should have gone on living in misery because I happen to not have as much money that, as you? That's a wide misrepresentation what I'm saying. There anyone the policy implication of what you're saying. Yeah, that is exactly oh. what would happen if you got your way. Okay, so life saving is a quite subjective way to observe no, it. No, it's life saving. It's life saving. It is. Seeing as someone who has been through that process, it's life saving. You don't have the life experience I have surrounding this. You don't get to say that it's not life saving. Okay, would other procedures be life saving, such as LASIK eye surgery? Such that be funded by taxpayers? If people need it to function in their I'm sorry? You think we're government funded? No, I think that should my taxpayer dollars go to like having tons of children? No, we should totally reconstruct our welfare policy so that you're not you're incentivized right. to have more kids out of wedlock. So, 
I think we should have universal healthcare. I think everyone should be able to get the healthcare that they need. And I say need because we do need healthcare. People die without healthcare. That so is an how do you how do you how do you how would you define abortion healthcare? Yes. Oh, okay. So that's exactly right. That's that's the problem. Is where do you where do you start and stop defining healthcare? healthcare. I don't consider gender reassignment surgery to be healthcare. Well, and I have respect for the way you feel. Don't make me pay for it. Curious your thoughts about, um, well, people like me that are saying, well, I don't want to wear masks on planes. I'm tired of yeah. wearing masks, uh, which I, I am. I, I do get a <laughs> lecture from me, got put on a mask. Yes, and after the summer, I just may put on a mask on planes. But but we have let our guards that our guard down. And a lot of people, again, have gotten sick. And we're still, yeah. what, a thousand people uh, some yeah. days are dying every day from COVID. Yeah, you know, I think it's an important moment to recognize everybody is is weary, but the impact has not been equal um, across the American population or the world. And so I just want to say, you know, a virus does not a pandemic make. What makes this a pandemic is the fact that a thousand Americans are still dying uh, from this virus. It is not the flu. And also um, many, many more, unfortunately, are uh, coming down with symptoms of long COVID, which has become endemic and anybody um, is susceptible to. Um, it's a much larger problem um, that we're really not uh, addressing with any kind of urgency. So as long as that's the case, as long as we actually don't have the treatment and the medication to truly make this something that is closer to a cold, and we're not there yet, which is what we're not really kind of acknowledging, this is still a serious situation. So I actually understand why um, it can be freeing to not wear a mask on a plane or a, a, a train um, on the subway, that's fine. But I think we just need to acknowledge that uh, there are still people in communities for whom this is a everyday fact of life that they right. have to think about. And masking remains an act of solidarity and respect for vulnerable people that includes people with disabilities, with chronic conditions like asthma, as well as for hard hit communities like native and black communities, especially Hispanic communities that have been hit especially hard by this virus. So we need more urgency yeah. around treatment for long COVID. We need more urgency around respect for vulnerable communities. And it just doesn't cost me that much to put on a mask for someone else. Absolutely. Well, Senior, right? I want to thank Gigi in Tennessee, my better half for that long one with Charlie Kirk. And I had to throw in a Macy Gray there. That lady's a fucking cunt with her fucking racist shit. Just fucking racist. Racist, racist. So, NBC News shines a spotlight on gay men and queer people who are suffering because Monkey's Pox doesn't let them go on a fuck fest. For the record, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, you gotta wear a mask because of Monkey Pox. Couple bans doctor from announcing the baby's gender in the delivery room. They're proud of it. I'm not going to play it. It's two lesbos. You know it. Plastic surgeon poses with patient who just received gender affirming surgery. And that is the video I played. It's a girl who became a boy. Yeah, it's really special. Children's Hospital leaves video a 13-year-old. You saw that one, too. That's just fucking gorgeous. But I, I really think my favorite is we're back into this fucking shit. All right? Where the fuck is it? 
Uh, here we go. Encourage men to pee sitting down to be more inclusive of trans men. No. No. My son-in-law did that. My grandkids did. No. Not doing it. And then this one again. You're all a fucking bivot because you don't want to fuck a girl who's a guy with a dick. 98% of straight men are unwilling to date trans women because of hatred, which is a lie. It's because they got a dick. Some people like dick. Some people don't like dick. I'm a non-dick liker. Just don't like dick. I don't even like my own dick. Not about dick. And all this little shit, you can eat a bag of dicks. The city of Boise is hosting a festival featuring child drag queens as young as 11 and Wells Fargo, Citibank, and a bunch of corporate idiots signed up for it. I hope they feel it. But I got a special soundbite. Um, I, once again, don't know how far this stuff's going to go. It appears that it's just going to go forever and ever, and they're going to keep doing crazy shit because that's what they do. So here's a trans species. I make a video like this every few months, but I thought I would explain again who I am and what I am doing. I am a Therian. I believe that my soul is an animal soul. I know and I have a fundamental understanding that I am overall human. I just enjoy connecting to my animal identity. I experienced something called species dysphoria. Keep in mind, dysphoria is not trans exclusive, nor is therianthropy or being a therian a gender identity. It is a psychological slash spiritual identity that affects my life in my day to day immensely. The dysphoria causes me to feel I'm in the wrong body, which is why I always wear this mask in my ears, as well as do other things to alleviate the stress that I feel. I make these videos for other Therians to know it's okay to express themselves, and I try to normalize this harmless identity. It's not the same as being a furry. Hope this clears some things up. You know, when I say you could be a goat, I was just joking. That's, what, what is, I, yeah, okay. So, do our, this is America, once again, a bunch of new shit coming out about Hunter Biden, and the current administration is blocking it, so that's why it's not being investigated. Another thing about climate change, folks, I play these sound bites because it's coming for you. This is what he wants to do. He wants to link your grid to solar and wind, and then you have rolling blackouts. You freeze your ass off, and you get hot as fuck in the summer. And for states that aren't doing it, that's why you're. it's so high, because they keep regulating to fuck you because you're using fossil fuels. And then Rob Schneider, who sums up, SNL, and I'll talk about that on the other side because it's a very poignant statement. It's time for the worst soundbite when the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. 
got the strap. There are accusations tonight from a top House Republican that the Treasury Department is providing cover for the Biden family. The allegations involve the department's refusal to turn over information regarding suspicious banking behavior tied to Hunter Biden. Correspondent Mark Meredith has the latest tonight. Republican Congressman James Comer is furious with the Treasury Department after it denied his request to review any suspicious activity reports it's collected on President Biden's son, Hunter. This is another cover-up in the Biden administration to block Republican oversight and Republican investigations of Hunter Biden's shady business dealings. The reports, filed by financial institutions, notify the government when they suspect someone is committing fraud or money laundering. The Treasury Department says Congress can see the reports under certain conditions, but Republicans who are not in the majority lack the power to force Treasury's compliance. The department also argues if those reports are released and then leaked, it could, quote, undermine potential or ongoing investigations or proceedings. Republicans are hopeful voters will be outraged by what they say is a double standard compared to how Democrats investigated the Trump administration. Hunter Biden is still out there being able to peddle influence all around the world, and they do nothing to him. Americans are pissed off about that. They're going to show up in November, and Democrats are going to answer for it. The White House insists it's not involved in the ongoing criminal probe into the first son, but critics, including Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, say federal investigators are moving too slowly and have yet to provide the American people with answers. Nothing seems to be moving. Are they an enforcement agency or aren't they? Are they using political bias or not? Uh, that's why total transparency is important. Senator Grassley, along with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, are vowing to investigate social media companies like Facebook and how they handled stories involving Hunter Biden back during the 2020 campaign. But this really all depends, Brett, on what happens in the midterms and whether or not Republicans gain the subpoena power. Over 50 million people across four states in the West are under heat alert this morning as record-breaking heat continues. The brutal temperatures leading to growing power outage fears. The brutal temperatures surging electric demand leading to growing fears of power outage. California seeing its highest demand ever on the power grid. Overnight, California independent system operator issuing an emergency alert urging residents to conserve energy. And it looks like those conservation efforts worked. There were no blackouts overnight, although today is expected to push the power grid again. But we're going to begin with what could be, could be a crisis in the making in California. We're scorching heat and scorching, scorching is a word, it's pushing the state's power grid all the way to the limits. Record temperatures mean record demand for electricity. No surprise there, and that's forced officials to issue an alert. Blackouts could be on the way. The need to conserve electricity is vital, says California Governor Gavin Newsom. We're heading to the worst part of this heat wave, and the risk for outages is real, and it's immediate. At one point Tuesday, the state's power grid was pushed to the limit, with demand soaring to a record of more than 52,000 megawatts. California's maximum is 56,000 megawatts. According to an expert we spoke with, California just doesn't have enough alternative energy like solar or wind resources to cover the increased demand. Bracing for blackouts. The risk for outages is real and it's immediate. 
California sets a new record for electricity demand overnight with temperatures soaring. Brutal heat expected to last for days. California can't seem to catch a break. An excessive heat warning across so much of this area has actually now been extended all the way to Friday. That means the strain on the power grid like what you see. One of the things as I travel around this country and try to perform and, you know, not indoctrinate people like some <laughs> comedy shows <laughs> seem to be doing these days. <laughs> not Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Well, I mean, I hate to crap on my old show. I hate to crap on my old show. But when I saw when Hillary Clinton lost, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. yes. Not exactly the most likable yeah. person in the room. Right. And then when Kate McKinnon went out there on Saturday Night Live in the cold opening, you know, like she started dressed as Hillary Clinton and she starts playing Hallelujah. And I said, I literally prayed to please have a joke at the end. Don't do this. Please don't go down there. And there was no joke at the end, and I went, it's over. It's over. It's, it's not going to come back. And it's those, it really is the end of... It's gone. You, can, you can take the comedy routines, the, com the comedy routines, you can take the comedic indoctrination process happening with each of the late-night hosts, mm -hmm. and you could exchange them with each other. That's how you know it's not interesting anymore. Because there's no, there's no... It's not an independent voice anymore. It's and just it's, all... He is spot on. When our comedy at late night all does that and they cry over elections, you know we're fucked. It's everywhere. I said it on the last show, I'll keep saying it. It's just not the left. It is the fact that every institution, because they bought the we're going to be woke forever and Republicans will never own power because of the coalition of the aggrieved, which isn't working too well so far. They all decided to get money and to be able to deal with the federal government. We're going to have to become woke. And they did. And now it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. And it's scary. And once again, Hunter Biden, this is the biggest scandal we've ever had as a country. And it's not made up. It's not fake. There's a laptop. We've all seen it. The FBI can ignore it. The DOJ can ignore it. But we're seeing it. We're all seeing it. We know what's in there. It's not good. So I know a lot of you aren't NASCAR fans. But this weekend, there was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was a fantastic edge of my seat. Heart racing. Better than any football I've watched lately. Race in the Xfinity Series between Kyle Larson, Creed, and my boy, the mayor freaking Throttleville, Noah Gregson. So I'm going to pay, play a soundbite, him doing his burnout in Victory Lane, which nobody does that. And an incredible finish for an incredible race. Green flag in the air. See Brandon Jones chooses the top, and the nine is going to contest. It gets really tight right here on corner exit. Looks like Jones made the right decision. Now Gregson will move up in the high line as well. The red and white car down below. That's Sheldon Creed. Well, Sheldon Creed had good speed in practice. Qualified well. Thought his long run speed was good. You see right there, he got pinched off a of turn four, Steve, and now he's lost momentum down the front.
Yeah, so basically one and two, we'll call it single thread. They can run two wide, but it's hard to do. Three and four, there's definitely two distinct lanes. One on the bottom, one on the top. On the outside of Gibbs to make contact, he has to get all the way out of the gas right here. Look at what happens. All this momentum from behind. Let's ride along. how long he was out of the gas. He got pushed up out of the groove, had to come out of the throttle where he was going to hit the wall. Lost a lot of spots, but he lives to fight another day. And Jeff Traffic has got Noah Gregson bottled up. Oh, there's going to be a big opportunity for the 19 right here. Yeah, Noah got caught behind those guys running side by side, and now they're oh. banging into each other. Ryan Ellis in the 44. He is up and into. Is that the 07 of Joe Graff? And they all get through. How did they not wreck? If he can hold off, Brandon Jones. Jones getting around the lap car and now trying to find his way closer to Gregson. One lap to go in the stage. Well, we'll see right here. The nine talked about a brake issue. Not a lot of brakes into turn one. It's heading into turn three where you'll use the brake. So if there is a brake issue on the nine, that's where he'll be most vulnerable to give up time. Stage ending after 45 laps, another 45 lap stage, and then a 57 lap stage to end the day today. Noah Gregson strong from the start. He'll ease the car through turn three and four, breaking not an issue right here. He'll take the checkers. Noah Gregson wins stage one. Good work right there. What's your water temp? 240 water temp. And well, more we're done. Now more we're racking up yellow. Yep, these two cars had gone to the back of the pack for penalties on pit road, the 26 of John Hunter Niemenschek and the 23 of Anthony Alfredo for an uncontrolled tire. Let's watch and see what happened. Well, what in the world? Wow. I'm not sure what happened before that, but... Destroyed the front of Alfredo's 23. Yeah, this is under caution. Well, I can't tell from that angle if he was... 26 is coming on the bottom, like I said, and Anthony was going, he ran in the back of him. Pack is to your left. Here comes a 26 of the red car of Nemechek, but Alfredo just carried too much speed to the back of the pack. That one's totally on the 23. I couldn't tell from our first replay if the 26 maybe brake-checked him. You know, was he was he mad about it? So right here, he's just slowing down because he doesn't want to pass the car on his outside, and he gets absolutely run over. 26, 30, 23 just ran all over. So they both hit pit road. The front of the car, the 26, obviously looking good. The back, they're going to check for damage there. But Alfredo's car in the front, yikes. That's a new one. Noah Gregson to the right, the gray and orange Chevrolet. On the left, the Toyota getting a push from the other Toyota, Brandon Jones. But on the inside, the Chevy's pushed forward. Allgaier pushing his teammate Gregson. Christopher Bell in that white and red car on the bottom. He's worked himself from the back. Now he has cleared his teammate, Ty. He's in fourth place. Good run from the back. Austin Hill in the white 21. He looks to the inside. He'll try to get by Ty Gibbs as well. Gibbs now with that momentum around the high side. That dark maroon 54 holds down fifth place. He was a little sore still from his Daytona wreck. Big Speaking of wrecks, we've got Chris Wright in the wall. Yeah, heavy damage. Oh, Riley Herbs. Bring her out to the pit stop. A lot of damage on these cars. 
Nagadalo, 31. Amaya Snyder. Big left side damage. Let's take a look exactly what happened. We see three very damaged vehicles. Let's see if we can connect the dots. Restart, Steve. They're going to be jammed together. gets a little wide there. Chris right up into is that graph again. Snyder's red and white car. Yeah, I can't tell from that angle exactly what happened. But the third car, the darker blue car there, that again was Joe Graff Jr. And David Starr just escaping through, I believe. Oof. Yeah, it looks like three wide just didn't work on corner exit. On board with John Hunter Nemechek. Easy up, 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 up in the middle right there, in the middle. There you go. Nicely nice done. Easy now, easy now, easy. Oh. And Riley had had a pit road speeding penalty. He should not have been back there. And it's going to cost the team today. He tried to be aggressive, but boy, did Noah Gregson ever get a great launch on the bottom. You said it, that was a great launch. And now he is clear that allowed Brandon Jones to get to second place. That outside line just not did not go. See Christopher Bell, he's back now in fifth, trying to get by Creed and for fourth. A lot of two by two through turns one and two. They all make it. Now doubling up in three and four. Oh, and now caution. I believe this is for weather. That's what we are hearing. A little moisture coming from yeah, the sky. Yeah, off in the middle. One and two. Two and a half hour rain delay. Darlington Raceway back in race shape. The green flag is redisplayed. 70 laps to go to the checkers. Meanwhile, here off of turn four, Allgaier with a nose forward. Can he get his teammate going into turn one? Looks like he may. Yeah, I think Noah Wisely's going to just concede at that point, give the seven the lane to come up. He's going to try to cross him over, but Justin's seen that move before. Didn't carry too much speed through the middle, protected the bottom. That's a really, really good set of driving. See the old thank you out the window, hand out the window from the seven to the nine. You know, the engine, oh wow, most likely an engine failure. Oil on the oil on the exhaust pipes. Millie starts a fire. I noticed when we went back green, this car wouldn't fire, hmm. and they had to push him down pit road. Wow! And it took a while. They ultimately, obviously, did get refired, but something happened uh, to this car prior to going green. And what this will do is we've talked. Look at the fire. That's what caught my attention out the window. Jeff, take me in there, right? So it's obvious we see the fire. Is it all smoke? Is it just vision here? I mean, at what point? I mean, you know you're on fire, but at what point are you thinking about needing to get out or you assume this fire is going to go out when you stop moving? Yeah, I listen, I you see right there, J.J. is getting the window net down, is preparing himself to get out of the race car. And they will finish the stage, the 54 in seventh and the 16 in ninth. Meanwhile, Justin Allgaier, with power move around his teammate Noah Gregson has won stage two. That's the seventh time he's won a stage this season. He will go first. There he goes, doesn't spin the tires, but it is a drag race down into turn one on the outside. Allgaier wants it. 
He's in trouble. Algar got a great start. Look at the advantage he's going to have on the outside. And now his teammate, Hill's teammate, Creed, to the outside. He'll try to take second. Not the start that Austin Hill was looking for. You said it, Steve, having trouble spinning his tires. I wonder if he just didn't accelerate as hard as he needed to because he was concerned about that. And the nine did a really nice job. Oh, man, the two gets to the outside of the seven. I didn't see that at all. What a move. Great momentum by Sheldon Creed, and he leads at Darlington. 31 laps on these tires right here, gets into the top. Man just loses the back. That's a nice job kind of, I guess, jumping on the gas and driving it off the wall. Yeah, he's really loose on corner entry. And see right there, Steve, you said it well. He just stood on the gas. Look at look at that A car. Josh, Josh Barry, Barry making a really nice good move. job. <laughs> well, we heard from Josh during the rain delay, and he wanted to make his car better. He's doing a nice job. He's inside the top 10. Look at this shot back. What a wow. Great job on the 19. Sheldon Creed, the control car, the red and white number two. What kind of a launch will he get? It's not bad, but Gregson's looked very, very good. And that bottom has been good launches all day long. Noah's got to drive it in here. Nobody's going to lift right here. They're going to come off, turn two, side by side, and wide open in the gas. Sheldon Creed inches forward. He has a two car Sheldon, in the lead. Sheldon, right there. What will Gregson do with that low line? He used it to start this final stage. Now he's got to think about what's happening back here, Jeff. Two wide by three. Not a good corner for Sheldon Creed. Noah Gregson is right there. Creed with just a little bit of a block. He'll now take that low line again, taking that line away from Gregson. Gregson looking to the top. Now he'll go to the bottom off of two. Kyle Larson's got to try to get two for one. He's got the nine. Will he get to the inside of the two as well? Yeah, a little bit of contact with the nine and the two on corner exit. That helped the 17. These cars are so hard to drive right now. And Sheldon Creed kept the lead through that run. Yeah, Sheldon's weakness is the exit of turn four. That's his weakness. And then in the in one and two, if he runs that low with Larson on the outside, don't do that because this guy right here will put that car on the outside of you just like this. Larson could not quite get there, but does he have the crossover? Oh. There's a little contact off the corner. Yeah, but Larson lifted. Larson made yep. contact. He respected him and lifted it and let Creed get his momentum back. Creed retains the lead, coming to two to go here. What can Larson mount? But Larson now saw what Creed is willing to do. Kyle Larson is go the champ time. of the Cup Series. He knows what he's trying to do here, and now I think he has a plan. Kyle Larson in the blue and white 17. He's going for a win. Sheldon Creed is going to get into the playoffs with a win here. Looking at the low side, Larson can't do it. This will be big momentum for that nine car. Noah Gregson has rejoined the front two. Coming to the white flag, Sheldon Creed still has the lead. One lap to go, presented by Credit One Bank. A lap car in between, and now Kyle Larson looks to the inside. He'll take the point. Oh, there's a lot of contact on what it do. And now Larson readies the car again. Creed off of the corner. Can Sheldon Creed hang on? His win would take him into the playoffs. Watch Noah Gregson right here. The nine looking low. Noah Gregson to the goal side. And Creed, he pulled the video game move. He's in the wall. Can he keep the front line? Here comes Noah Gregson. Creed cannot do it. And Gregson will win at Darlington.
Unbelievable, Jeff. To me, Creed had no shot. That Once he got that damage, he had no to keep that high doing. line and see if he could do it. He couldn't. All that contact. What a race. It was good. If you're bored, give it a go. We were never race fans, but we sure are now. And it's, yeah, the cup's boring, but that series, the JV, is really good. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. We find links to this show and every show by going to SoundCloud and Rumble. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Let's go for a, uh, what are we looking at? Today is Thursday. Let's go with the Tuesday, 13 September, year of our Lord, 2022 show. Until then, thank you all for listening and take care.